Hello everyone and welcome to First Film, the podcast where we discuss famous directors and their feature-length directorial debuts. My name is Baden Chu, with me is Kyle Testa, and today we will be talking about James Cameron. Big shot director, big time, big name right now. Yeah, big right? name director. Avatar, Way of the Waters just came out. By the time that this releases, it's probably going to be the biggest film ever released for some reason. Exactly, lots of blue people. And today we will be talking about James Cameron's first feature film, kind of a kind of a weird one, Piranha 2 The Spawning. Now, is there a lot of spawning that happens in this film? There's at least one too many spawnings in okay. this film. I don't like the word spawning. <laughs> Just to be clear, I think it's really gross. Synonymous with breeding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't. It, it's kind of a gross word. But if you're interested in a story about James Cameron that ends with him being bludgeoned in a parking lot in Ooh. Los Angeles, this is the place to be. Now, just as a quick overview of how this podcast is going to work, basically we are going to first talk a little bit about the director, their professional and their personal background. We're going to dive into their sex lives and their many marriages and all of that good stuff. All the messy divorces. All the messy divorces. The court proceedings. We got the lawyers. We got their papers. We got everything. That's exactly right. That is what we were professionally trained to do, actually. You're a professional? At law? I'm about as professional as James Cameron is. So after that, we're going to be discussing the plot structure and anything kind of fun we notice about the film that we wish to discuss a bit further. Exactly. Kyle and I will both have given the uh, the first film a, a look-see look. And then after we've discussed the film and you know caught you up to speed on, on what we've seen, then we are going to discuss the making of. Right. Take a look at, you know, what did the directors do? Are there any lessons that they learned that they took on to other ones? Any any weird things? We'll look at like the cast and the crew. Are there any linkages to their later work? All of that good stuff and more uh, before we wrap up at the end. So to kick it off, Kyle, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about James Cameron? Here's the director segment. So, this is, I have a bit of a quick fire round to start off, Baden. Okay. Did you know that James is a vegan? James Cameron's a vegan? Yeah, he is. Okay, no, I had no idea. He's also a member of the Mars Colonization Council. He is? Yeah, and more interestingly, he has an insane amount of knowledge of deep sea exploration. Yeah. After the abyss and Titanic. <laughs> I was listening to an interview of his, and he made a lot of technology surrounding submarines and even explored the Marianas Trench by himself. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing a documentary about that like a yeah. while ago, but yeah, he like he went down there. It was it was insane. And he discovered four different types of amoeba and other like deep sea animals, and I think he broke the record for uh, deep sea diving. That's That's insane. Not only that, he co-designed the deepest diving compartment ever. So why I'm kind of bringing this up right now is to show that he's smart technically. Yeah. Like he, he has the technical skills and that's not even just talking about movies. Mm -hmm. So now the quick fire round is ended, baby. Okay. So We're going back fire. to where James was born. Jimmy James Jammer. In Ontario, actually. Yeah. Where, yeah where Canadian filmmaker. Yeah, I know. I think it's Capsucking or I, I, I can't pronounce cap the name. Capsucking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're James a bloody Cameron's cap sucker yourself. Cap sucking. All right. 
Uh, but when he was 17, he moved to California, where all great filmmakers come from. Yeah, they all, <laughs> they all get spawned there. They get taken over by the spirit of Hollywood. But before that, when he was in high school, this is this is one of my favorite quotes I found. This is from a Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, okay, boy, all right. So this is a quote. He declined to join the Lord's prayers. He thought it was a tribal chant. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> which <laughs> which I think is just hilarious <laughs> if you think of Avatar down the line. Oh no! <laughs> right. <laughs> So, so James, uh, what's going on there? Avatar is a religious film. But not only that, one of his classmates said this. Uh, he was lanky, clumsy, a terrible athlete, probably the worst wrestler <laughs> in the entire school. And then he goes on to say, useless. <laughs> so I, I don't know if this Who is... Who the fuck is this guy? I don't know if it's real or not, but like, it sounds like James Cameron's got some beef with like some high school jocks. What kind of insult is like, he's terrible at wrestling? Like Useless. <laughs> useless. So after high school and stuff, he worked as a drug truck driver. A drug driver. Drug, a truck driver. <laughs> no, he worked as a renowned mechanic, janitor, and he actually learned special effects by reading uh, student works on various early effects technologies. So the reason he got into film, like a lot of directors, is he saw Star Wars. Really? Yeah. So when he was twenty-four. He would borrow money from a collective of dentists who actually what? needed a tax break. What? Yeah. And I guess they just thought this was like a good way to get the tax break. Oh, student film. Right. So they it was like almost like a donation. Exactly. That, okay. And so with this uh, money, he made his first film, a short film. Right. Which was entitled... Exenogenesis. Exenogenesis. That translates to alien birth. Whoa. Okay, so that's crazy because he later went to work on aliens and Terminator Genesis, like, eventually. Exactly, right? And it's also funny because the title is Alien Birth and it's the birth (laughs) of his career. Wow, okay. So then he got more into Hollywood. He was a PA production assistant for Rock and Roll High School and gained himself a job as a model maker at Roger Corman Studios in 1980s. Roger Corman's kind of a legend. He is. He is. They're known for such films as Children of the Corn, yep. Galaxy of Terror, who James was a production designer on, mm. and of course, the first Piranha film. Right, yes. So, my favorite fact about uh, Galaxy of Terror is he got promoted to bigger projects at the company. Right. As when he was doing this, there was a scene where basically there's a severed arm. Yeah. And so maggots are kind of like writhing. Right. And so what he did is he got an AC power cord to an arm filled with maggots. And he basically created this contraption so that the maggots would writhe on command. So he was directing the scene and it'd be like action. And then the maggots would start writhing or he'd say cut and he'd <laughs> stop walking. And co- coincidentally, two producers were walking by the set. Right. And they saw him doing this and they started talking to him and he got promoted to bigger projects because of that one moment. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. So he was like, he, yeah, he was commanding maggots. <laughs> <laughs> so you can kind of see it again. The special effects starting to creep in. He's got bit. just like, insane technical skills that like got yeah, recognized. Yeah. That's incredible. And so with his employment, this would make him the SFX director mm-hmm. for Piranha's sequel, The Spawning. Yep. But the main thing to take away from Piranha is that if he did not get this job, Terminator would never have happened. Right. It was like a bouncing off. Like It was a credit. It was a credit for him. But yeah. I don't know if you know this. So when he was in Greece, because that's where they shot uh, yeah. Piranha 2, the spawning, he had a fever. And he was uh, disillusioned yeah. and he was alone. <laughs> and he had a fever. It was more of a nightmare. A fever <laughs> nightmare dream about an invincible robot hitman sent to the future to assassinate him. And there's... There's Terminator. There's Terminator. Wow. And this was also inspired by... Uh, Terminator was inspired by John Carpenter's Halloween. Oh, right. Because um, it's not Jason in Halloween. It's uh, Michael. Yeah, right? yeah, Mike, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's like just this unstoppable like killer. Exactly. Yeah. So in 1982, first script for Terminator was written, and originally he was on set directing the film himself, but executives did not want him directing Terminator under any circumstances right because he was an unknown director his agent even told him that the film sucked really yeah and he fired his agent immediately after so this is a fun fact okay gail and Hurd, who he would later marry oh okay. actually bought the script for one dollar a buck so he could direct the film so it's basically like i'll buy your script for a buck right if you want to direct the film like a nominal badly. like a nominal price. exactly like just so they could really officiate the sale exactly so do you know Lance Henriksen? I do. From Prawn 2. He do. was originally supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. Really? Yeah. He was going to be the Terminator. He was going to be the Terminator. And he actually has a role. Yeah. Like a smaller role. Yeah, he has like a, a small part, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they chose Arnold because of the bodybuilder physique. Yeah. And it just fits. Lance Henriksen is like many things. But I don't think he had the physique of Arnold in any... I mean, I guess no one yeah. really has the physique of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so the Terminator introduces the first thing I like to call the Cameron effect. The Cameron effect. The Cameron effect. Is this something you've you've done? I've coined. Okay. Copyrighted the Cameron effect. The Cameron or as effect. I like to call it, the Cameron curve. Cameron Curse. Cameron Curse. Everyone thinks the film would perform awfully. Yep. And then instead, the film blows up. It's a, it's a good curse to have, I think. <laughs> and so you can kind of see that in Terminator. Everyone was like, oh, we do you're directing it. The script sucks. Yeah. And then it made $78 million. Wait, really? It made only $78 million. Like, Well, again. It feels small in our terms. Exactly. And you can also count for inflation and yeah. all that. Yeah. Do you know what the budget for it was? Pretty low, I think. It wasn't yeah. as much as his other films, but it made, it made much returns, more than right? his return. And like, remember, his wife... Gail, like, bought it for a box. Exactly. So. And fun fact, <laughs> Terminator and Piranha are the only two films that haven't been nominated or won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. The only of his film? Yeah. That's crazy. Then he would co-write Rambo in 1984 with Sly Stallone and would write Aliens in 1986, the sequel to Ridley Scott's first film, who is also next week's episode. Yeah, Ridley yeah. Scott. So at this time, if you noticed, all these were kind of written around the same date. At his house, he had three desks. One was for Terminator, one was for Rambo, and one was for Aliens. Really? Yeah. And all of these would become box office success. And it's it's amazing to have that many hits in a row, I think. Oh, yeah. That many home runs. Insane. And the fact that he was, like, working on them kind of at the same time. Exactly. Like, seeing James Cameron's name on that many amazing films in that close proximity, like, he'd be a household name immediately. Exactly. Then he would make a film he had in his head since high school, The Abyss, in 1989. Uh, and so this is kind of an underwater exploration thing, which again ties in the underwater yep, theme. Yep. Big theme in his career. Absolutely. Well. He loves water, man. Loves getting wet. Loves yep. getting his hands all wet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and this remarks a shift I noticed in my research of him becoming sort of nightmare director. Right. And yeah, I, I have heard about this where like he hit a certain point of success where like he can get whatever he wants. And we'll discover that later on yeah. as well. But all the crew on the set said that he was the scariest man in Hollywood. Really? Ed Harris, who starred in the film, burst into tears. Ed Harris? He's like an established actor. Even I at know. that point, I think. Like he's he's a legend of the of the industry. But this got so bad that all the crew members made custom t-shirts with a quote that James Cameron would say on set quite often, you either do it my way or you do 
another fucking movie. Wow. Yeah. Like, isn't that shocking? That's they, the fact that they went to that effort. Like, you know what? I'll, I'll say this. It's not like an amazing tactic, but he definitely united the crew like, yeah. against a common enemy, which, which is, is kind interesting. of interesting, right? And so I was kind of curious, like, is he still like this? Right. So I found an interview from Richie Bainham, the Avatar animation director, and he kind of said, yeah, he's like that, but he has a very clear vision. Yeah. And if someone does something to alter that vision, even if it's for the better of the end of the film, yeah. he gets pissy about it. Right. So right. it's kind of that. But it was definitely a combination of things. Yeah. And the film was nominated four times. The Abyss was nominated four times? I'm going to be honest, I haven't heard about it at like me neither like of, of all of James Cameron films I have never really heard about The Abyss yeah yeah I think the, his next film is honestly one of his best if not his best Terminator 2 Terminator 2 is yeah <laughs> and this would also be the start of him making very expensive films right so right. Abyss went over budget considerably but T2 was one of the most expensive films costing 94 million to make wow that's more than he made off of the first Terminator film yep yeah. That's crazy. So this film introduced CGI to the franchise, yeah. and it'll be another to solidify the Cameron effect. Everyone said it was going to fail. Sequels yeah, bringing in a well. sequel to a film that, you know, did okay. Broke box office records $200 million. And that's just North America. Yeah. I think it made $300 million. So it, it more than tripled back its, its budget. It definitely made back its marketing. It would have absolutely crushed. So Terminator's rights would actually be sold. He would found a company called Digital Domain for VFX and would make his other expensive film in 1997 with a budget of $200 million at the time, a film he refers to as his $190 million chick flick, Titanic. Wow. So now keep in mind, he was the first director to ever make a $100 million movie and a $200 million movie. Ever. Ever. He was the first to do that. Just like such huge budgets. And if you think about it now, it's so common. $100 million movies are like a dime a dozen now. Yep. They're all that big. And so I was looking on a time machine just to see uh, Titanic articles, yeah. and all of them were like, Titanic will sink as it went over budget, exceeded <laughs> schedule. Oh, they thought they were really clever with that pun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were like, oh, it hit an iceberg. Doomed to fail, yep. All that stupid shit. And then James Cameron Curse broke box office records Damn. again, became the highest grossing film of all time. All time. After this, he did a few smaller things. Made his debut in TV in a series called Dark Angel. Yes, yes. I have a little bit about Dark Angel. Okay. Yeah. This is a fun fact, though. He was considered to direct a Spider-Man film two times. The first was a screenplay in 2002 that was turned down for being too violent. And then this was given to <laughs> Raimi. Can you just imagine Spider-Man yeah. just beating the shit out of people? He's like, where is he? Where is he? He would have gotten to that before Batman, in fairness. Like, he would have beat Christopher Nolan. Can you him. imagine a dark kind of Spider-Man film. It would have changed the the landscape for sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he wanted Leo for that, right? I believe I so. I think he wanted DiCaprio for Spider-Man. Which would have been interesting. Yeah. I'm so curious to see what that would have been like. I mean, there, there is this whole thing of like, I think, I can't remember who I saw talking about it. It might have been um Christian Bale, but Christian Bale was just saying that everyone, everyone in Hollywood like owes Leonardo DiCaprio. Like any role you get in Hollywood, you can thank Leonardo DiCaprio because it definitely got offered to him first. <laughs> like no matter what role you have, guarantee it was offered to DiCaprio this because crazy. he's that. Yeah. So DiCaprio didn't do Spider-Man. James no. Cameron didn't do Spider-Man. And he was also offered The Amazing Spider-Man in 2012. And I Again. don't know why he did it. Interesting. I mean, that movie is like a little bit darker and grittier at points, yeah. I guess. It's just interesting that they offered Spider-Man to him in particular. Yep. I mean, obviously James Cameron's an incredible director, but yep. I, f I feel like Spider-Man isn't his type of film. I don't think so either. Right? It doesn't fit his style. Yeah. Like, I'm wondering what drove them to him, like, again and again. Yeah, I it just doesn't seem like a good fit for, for James Cameron. So in 2005, he would announce he'd be making two different films. Mm -hmm. 
First, Alita Battle Angel, and then Avatar, both to be shot with 3D SFX tech. So Avatar actually had an 80-page screenplay written in 1995. Wow. But James actually wanted technology to progress enough before starting production to achieve his vision. So he knew that technology wasn't there, he delayed it. And this leads to one of my favorite quotes from James Cameron, as he got the idea for Avatar in a dream. Another dream. Another dream, okay? <laughs> And he would say, I have my own private streaming service that's better than any of the shit out there. And it runs for free every night. Oh, his dreams. Right. He's talking about his he's dreams. He's talking about his dreams. He's talking about, he's like, I don't want to pay any $10.99 uh, Disney Plus subscription. Why, why do I need <laughs> he's got his I genuinely wonder if he's... There must have been points where he's considered like having someone put give him drugs to like force him to sleep so he can come up with film. Like I, it would not surprise. Can you imagine? Me. <laughs> so 20th Century Fox wanted to make the film shorter, mm-hmm. as it clocks in around like three hours. Like, Which is crazy. Off of like the original script was 80 pages, and you know, like roughly speaking, mm-hmm. a page is about a minute of film. Like yep. as as like a, a benchmark, he basically doubled that off of his page count. That's yeah. crazy. And in 2009, there were not a lot of films that were like three hours. No, there's a lot now though. There are, there are, but they. Are you know they're again they're these blockbuster exactly films. but uh, the other changes they wanted to make is that there was too much flying and you know <laughs> some other stupid shit yeah and James basically they were in the lot the yeah. I think it was the twentieth century productions lot whichever whichever whatever whatever studio it was, studio it was. Yeah. and he said you know what. I made Titanic, the building that we're meeting in right now. This half billion dollar complex on your lot, Titanic paid for that, so I get to do this. He has a point. He has a point. He has a point, right? Also, it was the same studio as like Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. So it was these two films, basically. Yeah, like he made the studio what it is. Like, yeah. He does get free reign. So they thanked him afterwards. <laughs> they were like, oh, okay, James, yeah, yeah, I know. God damn it. And they let him make the movie. But I have a feeling stuff like this is probably why he sold the rights to Disney. Right. So, film's budget for Avatar, $300 million. That has to have been the biggest at the time, right? I think so. Because the, the be? biggest budget I've ever heard of outside of that, I believe was the third or fourth parts of the Caribbean movie. Yes. But I, but I cannot yes. imagine it being bigger than Avatar. I don't know. It, I remember hearing that was like $500 million, though for that Pirates movie. Jesus. Which is wild. It is wild and definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, I like I like the third Pirates film. If it's the fourth one, though, that, fourth is, one. that is a dud. So, Avatar, Revolution SFX. Yeah. New performance capture methods, new lighting systems, realistic CGI muscles, explosions, and so much more. Yeah. It's crazy how much current VFX relies on technology that Avatar made. Definitely. It's easy to take it for granted right now. Yeah. But he really had to push for that. And of course, it beat out his own highest grossing film and made $2.74 billion worldwide and is the first film to ever do so. And I actually believe on the recent re-release they just did, yeah. beat out Endgame. I think it's back in the top it's spot. It's back again. in the top yeah, spot, which, which is um, wild. It's like 10 years old. It's insane. So Alita Battle Angel, who he also was making this trip for in yeah. 2005, released in 2019, and it did okay. It yeah. made like 404 million. I, I hadn't realized he was behind Alita Battle Angel. For some reason, I thought that that was Spielberg, but I guess I got that all mixed up. I didn't think so either. Yeah. I didn't see his name attached to it all that much. I don't know. You know, it's an enjoyable film, though. It's a fun, like, kind of, like, popcorn movie. It's kind of like Pacific Rim to me. Okay. Where okay. it's just kind of like, I don't know, you don't think too much of it. Yeah. But he's a big anime fan, actually. Really? Apparently, yeah. Hey, he's probably got a... What's that anime site? Is it Crunchyroll? Crunchyroll, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he, he doesn't want to do Disney+, Plus because he's got his dreams. He can't dream in anime because <laughs> it's in a different language. I, I, li- I like to think <laughs> James Cameron, he dreams in, like, a... No, you know the Polar Express animation? Yeah, oh, God. That's what his dreams like, look like? Like, half-rendered? The 
eyes are all over the yeah, place. Yeah, he doesn't quite have the mental brain power to like fully render things. And he wakes up in a cold sweat. The technology's not there. <laughs> it's not the ready. technology's oh not there. Oh my god. But he can't dream in anime, which is why he like he has to watch Crunchyroll. And so maybe you consider Baden. That is his dark fate. No. Terminator Dark Terminator Fate dark would fate. then release and it made like less than half of its budget back. He didn't direct it, did he? He was a producer and like a writer, right? Yeah. He was more involved with Dark Fate than he was with Genesis, I yeah, think. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Do you remember like a few years ago, 2016, 2017, there was this trend where people started asking, can anyone name a character, a piece of dialogue <laughs> from the Avatar, from Avatar? movie? Yep. <laughs> I think like Jack's films did some video where they were, went around asking random people in the street, can you name one character in Avatar for, two, for like $200 and no one could do it? Isn't it like Sully something? Isn't it like Jack Sully? Jack Sully. And I only know that because of the trend. And it's funny because basically they're making this point. No one can remember it despite being the highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. Insane. So James actually saw some of these tweets. Oh no. And oh no. He was like, oh yeah, yeah. I can see how people are saying it left no lasting impression and maybe the plot was kind of okay. And I'm just going to read the quote out here, okay? I got my team together. I showed them this tweet and said, you know, what do we do about this? And we came up with a lot of ideas. Just kind of put everything on the table. But the one we kept returning to was making four Avatar sequels instead of just the one we were fuck? planning. The idea being that if we had five Avatar movies spanning, you know, two decades or whatever, then people were constantly being bombarded with <laughs> Avatar from every direction, something would have to stick. First off, just a very scary thought. Like being brought into a boardroom and James Cameron pulls up a tweet insulting his movie. It's like an always sunny, the fucking, yeah. the fucking <laughs> conspiracy boards. He's like, what <laughs> do we do about this? He's got a gun on the table. He's like, <laughs> he definitely went to that meeting, like already knowing. At the end of this meeting, I want everyone to know we're doing five Avatar films. And it's so funny because instead of him being like, okay, maybe we should make the plot a little bit more impactful. He's like, no, we just need more sequels. No, more of, of the movie actually will help. <laughs> so... The film is, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Gotten all scrambled up, huh? <laughs> it's coming out pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. Avatar Way of the Water. Ex- it... In fact, by the time this releases, it I think it's out. So at the time of the recording, uh, I'm seeing a lot of the same things. Right. Themes of water. Yep. Negative reception. Mm-hmm. People saying it's gonna bomb. Even us. Like, I, I still... I cannot imagine a way for this to make the same amount of money as the first film. So, uh... We're about to be proven wrong, though. Like, 100% we're gonna be proven wrong. Is the James Cameron curse gonna happen? It's gonna curse us. It's <laughs> like, gonna curse It's a us. curse on all of the doubters really for him it's not a curse it's, it's not. like you know what he did he sunk to the bottom of the fucking like mariana's trench he went to mariana's trench he, yep. met, he met like a demon eldritch being like <laughs> style. he made a deal with it on the condition that he only made water related films <laughs> he made some kind of deal with the devil that's all i'm saying he is the devil that James goatee, is that the goatee devil. man <laughs> Well, all right. So now that we know a little bit about James Cameron, we are going to talk about his first feature directorial debut, Piranha 2 The Spawning from 1982. But before we get to that, here's an ad. So now that you uh, know a little bit more about James Cameron uh, and, and some of his work, We'll talk about his first. Oh, boy. Right? We'll go all the way back to Piranha 2, The Spawning. Or, as it is weirdly titled in the film's opening crawl, Piranha 2, Flying Killers? What? 
Yeah, it turns out that this film was released under a different name internationally. So it, it's known both as Piranha 2 The Spawning and Piranha 2 Flying Killers. Oh. Now, Carl, why don't you get the listeners up to speed a little bit about uh, what the plot of this film is? Because it's, so, it's weird. Basically, piranhas, right? They're from a Vietnam experiment splicing different fish together. They're known as the uh, optimal killing but organism. The ultimate killing organism. Big scary fish monsters. Yeah, so the military is like, okay, we want to use these guys in the Vietnam War to mess up all the rivers, right? And they have this boat that has a bunch of eggs of them, mm-hmm. and the boat sinks by this resort called the Elysium. Absolutely. And every year the Elysium has this ritual called the spawning, where this big fish comes on board, beaches itself, and has sort of a mating ritual. It's called the spawning. Attracts a lot of tourists. Basically, the tourists, a lot of them die, and you have these group of unlikely individuals who rally together and defeat the piranhas by exploding the boat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that basically sums it up, right? It's a movie. It's got piranhas. It's got genetically mutated piranhas that can fly, hence flying killers. Yeah. It's got weird sex stuff. It's, it's everything you could want from a film, really. Honestly, I think that's the first section we should dive into, Baden. Yeah. The sex segment of Okay. The film, well, okay? I mean, that's where the film starts, It's right? where the film starts. And I'm going to be honest. Going into this film, we, we don't do our research until, like, after we've watched the film. And based on the title and the poster alone, I really went into this film thinking that it was a softcore porno. Plot without porn. Yeah, I I, I I actually thought that the whole piranha thing was just like a backdrop for like a porn film, right? And so, and the opening scene did not get rid of my fears. No, no, it felt like very much Baywatch meets Jaws. Yeah, so the opening scene, it's like a classic serial killer yeah. horror movie scene. Like every movie, it had, I think so many mirror reviews parody this now. If you have two couples in like a car. One couple. <laughs> two, <laughs> two couples? Two, oh boy. Two couples in one car. Hey, hey it's oh, a God. bloody force. Oh my god. One of them's got the, the gear shaft in the way. There's lots oh, of I'm telling you there. what, someone's bloody shaft in the gears. <laughs> god damn it. Um, you know, there's like young lovers yeah. up to something spicy and then like that's when the serial killer gets them. They become the first victims. And th- this movie does something very, very similar at the beginning except <laughs> like the weirdest way possible. They so, dive into that disgusting boat and it's covered in rust, mold, moss. I, I know some people have this like belief that like water is generally pretty clean. Like when there's a lot of it because you know whatever's dirty gets the first fish pee in it no man like inside the wreckage of this ship that water is fucking disgusting they take like a rambo knife and they start cutting each other's clothes off and i was wondering like why are they wearing bathing suits like aren't they gonna get cold because scuba divers normally wear the full suits (laughs) i just thought they were european (laughs) (laughs) but it's because they they go underwater they cut each other's clothes off they're making out they take off their respirators yeah you know, lung capacity is whatever, but that's terrifying, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> in the wreckage of a ship, so you can't swim straight up. Like, if something happens, you have to swim out of the wreckage back to the surface. You're, you're gonna die. They're just insane, and they're getting something out of it, because they're, they're very horny. So, anyways, if you do that, please email the pod at, uh... So, it's firstfilmpoddy, P-O-D-D-Y, at gmail.com. If you are someone who goes into the wreckage of ships and uh, has sex, please email us. Like in uh, Titanic. Not like Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go into the wreckage of the Titanic. Um, so that's like the first. Yeah, weird sex uh, and they scene. they get killed by the the piranhas. That's like you know a blood filter. And yeah, stuff on this uh, yeah, blood filter. Yeah, you know what it reminded me of? You know, um, when James Bond shoots the screen, yeah, and the blood drips down. It reminded me of that. Oh, yeah. that's a good one. Um, so then, literally right after the five-minute opening <laughs> credits, fuck, they went on for a long time. At least, I think the music was pretty good, though, to be honest. Over those opening credits, I was like, okay, violins? <laughs> drums? 
<laughs> they had, they like had a, a budget for that? It felt like an ELO song. I was like, all right. <laughs> Cut into like the hotel resort, one of the rooms, and uh, we meet our main character, who's named Anne. She's a diving instructor, which will come up later. She's fully naked in the bed. Yeah. And we see someone who is her son. He has like this weird, almost looks like a blobfish type thing. Yeah, he has the corpse of a fish. And he crawls on top of her, her naked body. She has like a sheet covering yeah, her. Yeah, but like it's still weird. And he's like shoving the fish in her face and they're like wrestling it's on the bed. It's so weird. I, it's not just that. It's the fact that like, I, I wouldn't even say it's like a sexy voice. It's I think it's just morning voice. You know, yeah. like, oh, I just woke up. Leave me alone. She's like, you're such a weird boy. Yeah, and like, she's right. Yeah. This kid is fucking weird. It felt like he was playing his role as if he was like flirting with the mom too. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe we're reading too much into it, but I'm glad you noticed too because I I thought it was just me. Yeah. And again, at this point in time, I thought that this was a softcore porno film. So my expectations were like in the gutter. (laughs) The other weird thing I wanted to comment on is basically her son hooks up with this other girl and they like make out and they're feeling each other underneath this like rushing waterfall. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's, it's not like, odd. oh, like a gentle, like, trickle. It's like white rabbits. <laughs> we'll, we'll play the clip on, like, the YouTube. Oh, uh, like, I don't know if we can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> You're fucking right. But yeah, and then there's one other one with Anne, with a man named Tyler Sherman, who we'll probably get to, but yeah. that's about the extent of it. It's like, it was actually, it was pretty mild, yeah. which I was, I was happy about because I was not interested in watching <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of that, but yeah. Let's talk about the uh, minor characters a bit. Like, all those, like, weird characters got introduced and nothing happened Yeah, because quickly the core cast is uh, Anne. There's Lance Hendrickson's character, whose name is, I believe, Steve? He's um, basically a police officer, like a harbor officer. He's a coast guard, and he plays, like, a pretty major role in, like, investigating all, yeah. all the murders going on. I'd say the third main character is Tyler Sherman. Has to be, yeah. Yeah, he's like this surfer dude. He already knows how to dive. He's flirting with her. <laughs> And he sort of gets revealed later to be involved with the military operation. But yeah, the the side characters, right? Like, you can't make a movie with just these three guys. And so they're all these side characters. They're so weird. Some of them literally have one scene they don't get introduced afterwards. Well, yeah, like one of the first ones, Mrs. Wilson. Oh, my God. She shows up twice. Yeah. And, And her whole thing is in one scene, she's flirting with one of the people working at the thing. She's like, I can show you a good time. And then later she goes to his room and he's like sleeping with someone else. It's so weird. That's it. That that's all she's there for. My favorite one is basically this girl. She's talking to her friends. They're on a beach. I don't I don't know what she says, but she goes into the water. It's like two foot water, and she pretends to fake drown. And because the film's pretty low budget, I thought it was being serious. Like, you thought she was actually like drowning. Yeah. I, <laughs> but no, she's doing it intentionally because this doctor at the resort. He's a weird fucking guy too. Like the first thing we see him do in the film is he has the sunglasses that flip yeah. up to reveal actual glasses, and Beta. he flips them. He's up. not a doctor. He's a dentist. Well, that's the reveal. Isn't it? And she is. She is so into that. Oh like, man! Like they are all over each other for the one other scene that they are in. And then so the other two side, side characters, characters, two girls, they own this like fairly expensive yacht, I'd say. Yeah. And they basically manipulate this resort worker to give them dinner. Mm-hmm. And he does this jump to try to get onto the boat because basically they take the food and they leave him behind. Yeah. And they pull the boat away and he tries to jump on it, but it's like a ninety degree. Yeah, difference. he's so far away it's from it. So far. Obviously, you know, 
that was probably for safety reasons. Probably. I right? don't think they had the budget for stunt people. Exactly. Like, if he had slammed into the side of the boat, this, <laughs> movie, this movie would have been done. Like, he just hits the ground. And like... <laughs> Anyways, the girls got the karma, I guess, because they died to piranhas. Yeah, which I feel like that's also, like, a thing that comes up a lot. Yeah. Like, you know, there there's, like, a couple of usually women who are, like, mean. Yeah. And then they get, like, comeuppance because they going, get Going back to the girls on the boat. So, one of them dies in the water, but in one of the, the <laughs> scenes, you can tell she's not in the water. Like, they clearly shot it on land, so she's, yeah. like, squirming, but you can see the ground. It's really funny. It's really rough. And and so, the piranhas, they're on a rampage, basically, because... Yeah. The whole thing with these piranhas is they're this military experiment, and they are, to quote, I think it was Tyler, they are the ultimate killer Killing organisms. organisms. The way they made them was by taking piranhas, yeah. merging them with these fish called grunions, and so their big thing is the grunions can breathe in air and water. Yeah. And I don't know if these are real fish. I don't think they are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then the other like genetic modification is that they can breathe in salt and seawater, and they can fly. And I think that's the biggest one, right? So we haven't seen the first piranha film but it seems like in that one the piranha don't fly i think they're just swimming but in this one it feels like there are only three piranhas and they jump on you it's so funny because the sound they make if any of us play the lego games it sounds like 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 the bricks coming together (laughs) it's so bad and it seems like they have one sound effect for when they're in the water and one sound effect for in the air and it gets played on repeat. Speaking of the sound effects, I know you liked the music. I thought the music was pretty good. But they played the same suspenseful theme like yeah. 10 times. You know, I mean, <sighs> Jaws kind of does that, I guess. I mean, sure. Okay, think about it this way. It would have been worse if the music was bad and they played it that many times. That's true. But the music That's was true. possible enough it's that possible. like... Yeah. You know what isn't good though? The sound and the dubbing oh my is God. really bad. So there's a scene when the spawning happens. Yeah. Everyone's dying on the beach, but the shipyard guy gets killed by piranhas. Yeah. There's no scream he makes. There's no sound of the piranhas so biting. Quiet. And it's really weird because there are other parts in the film where, you know, people get attacked by the piranhas and they scream. I know. But for this one scene, he's just dead silent and we, we don't even hear like fleshy sounds. The other thing is um the underwater scenes, which I think are shot pretty well. Okay. When there are piranha like kills underwater, obviously like doing sound underwater is quite difficult. Like how do you make someone scream underwater? Yeah. Like, the sound is yeah. difficult. But I was rewatching Jaws the other day like I skimmed through it to see what they do and they do like sound when people get killed underwater right gurgling sounds and stuff but in this film it's very quiet when people get killed in the water they make the screaming face and the blood sprays everywhere there's the drama but there's very little sound design and I think that really drags down like a lot of the kills like Loretta right yeah you hear the person screaming Loretta's name instead of hearing Loretta dying exactly pretty weak sound design overall but the music, I think, is pretty good. And on the topic of the underwater stuff, it looks pretty good. There's some good effects and practical effects in there this. There are. There are. Okay, the piranhas themselves are, like, pretty rough. They're pretty bad. Right? Like, I don't know how they could have done them well because it's flying piranhas. Yeah. But the good stuff is there's one scene where during the spawning, Anne is, like, patrolling the beach yep. because she's she's very cautious. It's, it's like the scene in Jaws where the guy's, like, sitting at the beach. Exactly. And everyone's splashing in the water, right? Yeah. And she's on the radio with this other guy, one of the few black characters in the film, and he's patrolling a different part of the beach, and he gets attacked by the piranhas. And there's this really great scene where he comes out of the water, having partially survived the piranha attack. It 
looks like a zombie. Really good prosthetics, I thought. I thought that was one of the best scenes. Yeah, like a really good shot as well with him emerging from the water. I mm-hmm. thought it was pretty haunting. I thought it was going to turn to a zombie movie. Really? Yeah. Like yeah. maybe, oh. Because as soon as they were like Vietnam experiment, I was like, oh, oh. we're going to do like piranha zombies. Like they mutate people that they yeah. fight. Yeah. That's interesting. Moving yeah. on to another really good effect. Yeah. The helicopter crash. Right, yeah. There are a lot of explosions in the film, actually. Yeah. There's the explosion of the boat at the end. There's some dynamite fishing. But the helicopter explosion does look good. And it's a miniature, of course, but it looks good. It does look good. And that's something that I think James Cameron does well in a lot of films. And he does a lot of really good miniature stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I wonder how much of that he knew before this film and, and whether he got to, like, experiment on this. Aliens movie. is famous for the miniatures with the alien queen. Yeah. And the power loader fight. Yeah. Because a lot of that, when you see the shots of their full bodies, yeah. entirely miniatures. Which is incredible. And there's one scene in the morgue, you know, when the uh, piranha comes out of the chest of yeah. the woman? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's like aliens. It yeah. really reminded me of the alien coming out of the chest. And I, I know James Cameron didn't do alien where that first happened, but he did do aliens. And, yeah. and I wonder how much of like his model and prosthetic and engineering stuff like, played a role in all of this. But we've been complimenting this film way too much. Though. Like, there's a lot wrong with it. Yeah. It's incredibly cheap. I think the shot composition is pretty good. But, like, the camera they were using is, is clearly so bad. very, very bad. Even for the time, like, there's not really an excuse there. A- another thing that I thought was a bit weird is um, Tyler. He used to work for the military, it seems. Or currently does. I couldn't really tell. And he's there to investigate this shipwreck and then, then the piranha attack. But... The military say that he was fired from the project and yeah. is unhinged. It's just like they claim he's insane, but then the military doesn't do anything. Yeah, afterwards. they're like, oh, we'll be there tomorrow, which makes it seem like the military is trying to like cover something up. But it doesn't ever come into play, partially because the film ends so suddenly. Yeah. After they blow up the boat um, and Tyler dies uh, in the final scene, he dies before the explosion because of the piranhas, but he also, his his, his body is in smithereens. Yeah, it's gone. As a side note, you know, during the explosion, there's this one bit of rubble that flies off in the explosion. I'll like, I'll highlight it. When I first saw it, I thought that that was Anne. Oh. I thought that she, I thought because she's under the water near the boat. Yeah. And she's trying to like swim away from it. (laughs) And I thought that the explosion like catapulted her out of the water <laughs> which would have been so funny okay that's not the notes i had but the biggest thing was the ending the ending was so abrupt she reunites with the police captain who's her ex-husband yeah they have the kid together exactly the main thing too is none of these characters are in the first one everything has to be established in this one i think they do a good job of establishing all the characters yeah. like the chemistry between the main three, I think, is pretty good. Well, that's because they're all bloody party and having sex. It's with a each very other. horny film, okay? <laughs> but I think they're all pretty good. But yeah, so she reunites with her husband and and the son, who was kind of like missing for a lot of the film. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like they could have maybe done an extra five minutes at the end. You know, maybe she makes up with her husband. Yeah. Because they're having like a feud throughout the whole thing, so maybe she she realizes that she wants to like make it work. But basically, not. it just kind of goes to full penetration to piranhas <laughs> to full penetration to piranhas and then it just sort of ends it just ends and and, and it just cuts <laughs> it just fades in the credits like literally they get on the boat and no seconds after it just ends you know maybe when they were filming that scene they had to stop it They're like maybe they filmed more but like a fucking seagull like shat on the camera they or took their film reel <laughs> yeah it's like something must have happened for them to cut the shot that early 
So, Faden, on a scale from one Avatar sequel to six Avatar sequels, <laughs> how would you rate this movie? Um, you know, when I was watching the film, I, I've noted down at multiple points, am I going crazy? Like, I've written here, have I gone crazy? Yeah, I am the unhinged one. Exactly. Right? Like, that, maybe that's the secret metaphor of the film. Oh. It's the audience who's unhinged. No, I, I wrote multiple points like, have I lost my mind? Because I actually didn't hate watching this. <laughs> it's it's terrible. Like, the tension doesn't build. It's 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 just so cheap. Right. It's, it's a B movie. It's the B movie. Yeah, it's like a popcorn film. It's worse. Like, <laughs> like if you eat popcorn while you're watching this, you're gonna feel gross you're because everyone's throw having up. weird underwater sex. But I didn't hate it. Okay, I think it was competently directed. I give it three out of six Avatar sequels. I give it a way of the water out of six. <laughs> so two, yeah. two out of six Avatar sequels. The big thing for me was the pacing. It just felt stagnant. I think it's pretty well plotted. Like there are bits of the plot that connect together in a pretty satisfying way. I like how we find out that Lance Hendrickson's her husband. I like how we find out about the son. Right. Like it's not done. They don't tell us. They they show us. We find out they are related because Lance Hendrickson's character as a Coast Guard goes up to the rich guy's boat that the son is working on and is like, hey, you, I want to talk to you. Turn on your radio! Turn Turn on your radio! That happens like three times in the film. And then the son gets on his boat, you know, it's like, oh my God, the Coast Guard wants to talk to us. And then as soon as he's on the boat and they drive out of sight of the rich guy, he's like, hey, son, how's it going? (laughs) Which I thought was like, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Like there are small plot elements that I think really work in this. Uh, I was expecting worse. Okay, yeah. I was expecting it to be like one of the uh, scary movies or like the starving games where it's more like loosely connected skits rather than a movie. Whereas I think this is this is a movie. It's a bad one, but it's a movie. It is a film. We can at very least say... <laughs> we, can, we can genuinely say... It is a film. And that was surprising. Kyla wasn't porn. I'm it so wasn't happy. born. It wasn't I know. I'm now, so happy. I think just like Anne, we should dive into the behind the oh, scenes. Jesus Christ. All right, here we go. Light on set. What we're going to do now is I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about what we know about the behind the scenes. There's not a lot, okay. but I was able to find some some pretty interesting stuff. But before we dive into that, I'm going to give some background quickly about the first Piranha film because we didn't talk about it much and we haven't seen it. But the first Piranha film came out only four years earlier in 1978. There are actually more movies. There's a Piranha 3D, and then there's also a Piranha 3DD, like double D, uh, which is part of why I was like, is this a porn series? But um, the first Piranha film came out in 1978. Uh, the people behind it uh, were a, a couple of notable names. And there's Roger Corman, who you mentioned earlier. Yes. Uh, and a man named John Davison, both pretty prolific producers. John Davison worked on Airplane oh. uh, and Robocop. Those are big movies. Yeah, and those were actually after this, which is interesting. There was Rob Batten, did effects on The Thing. Rob so Batten, he, Matt? When I looked this up, like that came up so much. <laughs> uh, and the first part of the film was actually the solo directorial debut of Joe Dante. Interestingly, that film was also a first film film maybe worth looking at in the, <laughs> on the podcast someday what did he go on to direct um he is most well known for gremlins okay long story short they they made a, a low budget jaws-esque movie for about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. which is it's a modest budget it's a lot of money and it was going to release around the same time as jaws 2 which meant that uh, universal at the time was going to injunct them except spielberg who was universal's like cash baby at that time yeah he liked the film he liked the first piranha movie because there were a lot of films 
films at that time that were trying to replicate what Jaws did. And Spielberg actually said that he liked the Piranha film, that it did the best job. He watched it. And he vouched for it at Universal and stopped them from blocking it. That's insane. Which is crazy, right? And so it released and it ended up making about $16 million. So we're talking about a massive, like percentage-wise, a massive return on this budget. Wow. It ended up that Spielberg later worked with the director, Joe Dante, on, I believe, the Twilight Zone movie. Ah. Um, And and also Gremlins. Spielberg is an executive producer on Gremlins. All comes full circle. Right? So Spielberg clearly actually quite liked this Piranha film and, and liked the talent behind it. If he didn't, would we have gotten James Cameron? I don't know. The thing is, right, from Piranha to Piranha 2, the military stuff was was a big aspect of the first Piranha film, the whole Vietnam experiment, right? That's where the jumping off point for the sequel kind of began. Mm. So it it made good money. And so two of the producers from the first film bought the rights from Roger Corman and worked on a script with two writers, Charles H. Eagley and Channing Gibson. And Charles Eagley actually worked on Terminator Dark Fate. Wow! Interesting set of writers there. And they got a tentative director for this second Piranha film in a man named Miller Drake. He hasn't done a lot of directing work, but he is actually quite a well-known VFX artist. So he's worked on things like Green Lantern, Fast and Furious, oh. Men in Black 2. Oh. He worked on Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Wow. Uh, and Terminator 2. Oh. So this man, Miller Drake, he was going to be the director. There was a producer named Ovidio G. Asinitis? Yeah. I got a case of asinitis. Ovidio Asinitis. I'll call him Ovidio for now. He'll come up a lot, so remember that name. But they got this producer. He's a Greek-Italian filmmaker. Uh, he worked on hits like The Labyrinth of Sex. Oh, porno. Porno, definitely porno. Uh, <laughs> but also, he was apparently a producer on Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino. Oh! Apparently, that movie is actually a remake of a European movie called Scent of a Woman. So you think maybe they got him, hired him to yeah. be like the consultant? Exactly, yeah. So I'm thinking maybe a video worked on the European Scent of a Woman. Maybe they brought him on for this one or, or something like that. That. Maybe he's just a said to the woman expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did do the labyrinth of sex, Kyle. So <laughs> things got shuffled around a bit, and James Cameron ended up uh, being promoted to director of Piranha 2. Yes. Right off the back of some of his special effects work. And so I'm going to mainly talk about this from what we know from James Cameron's point of view first before I get into another source I oh. found. So the budget for this film was roughly $150,000. Okay. Okay, so less than the first one. Significantly um, less. And it was apparently mostly funded by a video himself and so according to various sources including Cameron himself production was just awful on this film uh, and he was replaced after two and a half weeks. Which is wild. Pretty short turnaround. And and from what Cameron has said, it seems like he was fired because a video, this Italian producer, wanted to direct the film himself. Oh. But needed an American's name put on the film. Interesting. The way Cameron puts it is basically he feels that he was hired to get fired. So that his name would be on it. And then he was always meant to be fired. Because if you look in the opening credits, it's just his name. It's just his name. I think a video might be in the... Uh, executive producer thing but a very small mention but James Cameron's name is is there under the director title yeah he says that he was there for about two and a half weeks didn't work on it too much which is why we were a little bit hesitant about doing this as his first film because even though James Cameron has kind of like he has an affection for it now I think it's like a a bit of a an insight <laughs> it's an inside joke right that he worked on this as his first film but for a while he was denying it he said I-, I worked on it for two weeks it was barely I barely have my name on it my first film is The Terminator yeah. which is like a much better yeah. uh, starting off point how 
ever, I then stumbled upon an interview with Mr. Ovidio. Oh. Now, this is from a website called The Daily Dead, which I wasn't sure how reliable it was. There were points at the during the interview where I was like, is this all made up? Fan fiction? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like some kind of weird... I, I don't know who would go out of their way <laughs> to write a fake interview with Ovidio Asinitis, but like, I was skeptical. And then I found a video interview with him where he said a lot of the same stuff. So this source, despite coming from a website I never really heard of, I'm pretty sure this stuff is reliable in a sense that this is what a video actually said. Wow, okay. Whether it's the truth is a different story, but I'm going to read some quotes about the making of the film. Because James Cameron hasn't spoken about it a lot, but a video has talked about it at length. So when asked about whose idea it was to make this sequel, a video said it wasn't it wasn't him. But he was involved when the vice president of Warner Bros, who he knew and had done business with, mm. called him to tell him that two of the producers of Piranha had asked him if he was interested in making a sequel. Oh. Right. So a video said, I had a meeting with him where he told me, the idea of a sequel convinces us. We want to do it, but not with them. We would like you to do this one for us. And so a video went and he bought the rights to the film from the producers. Wow. Presumably for really cheap. Do you think he had a Gale and Hurd deal where he bought it for one dollar? It's the Piranha franchise, so like, a buck is probably too much. I bet you the studio was probably like, we're not gonna do anything else with this. Sure. Exactly. It seems like they gave this to him without too much of a fight. Yeah. Um, And he said he found a script that was unreadable, terrible, just awful. I told Warner Bro, I cannot proceed with this script. The answer was, change all you want, but two things have to remain. The piranhas have to come from the sea, which is ridiculous. What? They're, they're freshwater creatures. And they must be able to fly. What? So apparently it was Warner Bros. who was, like, demanding that they fly for this film. That's such a weird request. Why? Is the vice president of Warner Bros. like some kind of, like, fish fetish guy? <laughs> I want them to fly out of dream. Yeah, like, who was insisting that they fly? Maybe I, there was, I like, a popular film about flying creatures? And they were trying to cash in on that? Is that, like, a popular thing with sequels? Like, is The Mummy 2 about, like, flying mummies? <laughs> anyways, those are the conditions that he had to have. And so he says that he did end up first selecting Miller Drake as the director, and he was signed and everything. But video says that after about a week, Miller called him and said, you have to free me from your film. Universal has asked me to become their special effects coordinator, and they are offering a million dollar a year contract. Wow. And with, with, with Piranha 2, he was going to earn $3,000 <gasps> for both effects and director. Oh my okay? god. So apparently a video basically said, like, I would be an animal if I didn't help and let him off the hook. So he freed him from the contract, and I think that's why Miller Davis is in VFX right now. Wow. Right? So a video released him from this film that might have tanked his whole career, and now he's quite a prolific VFX guy. So seems like a video let him off the hook here, and and that's why he ended up going with James Cameron, who he was referenced to because James Cameron was working on Escape from New York. Yeah. He worked with Roger Corman, all that stuff. So Cameron was already working his way up and his name got passed around to a video who said, as soon as I told him I was looking uh, for a director for my film, he jumped from his seat and it was absolutely overjoyed. I explained to him the fact that we didn't have much of a budget. Yeah, no shit. Uh, <laughs> that the script had to be written. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, generally speaking, it was a complicated project, which I think is a bit of a stretch. <laughs> it's a it's piranha. Too, it almost it? sounded like Ovidio <laughs> wanted someone to just do the entire job for it him. It sounds you know like I mean? it, right? And then apparently James Cameron just continued repeating that it didn't matter and that it would be an honor to be able to direct the film. So he came to Italy where they started pre-production. 
bit more information there about what happened before the thing started. Nothing here explicitly contradicts what we heard from James Cameron, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a bit more here that just doesn't quite work with what James Cameron said. So when asked who wrote the script, a video said, we both did, Cameron and I. I was more of a supervisor. My main role was to check those elements that Warner had approved were kept in the story. I had to stand by their choices, but most of the story came from Cameron, the dialogue, the key points of the narrative, all his doing. Throughout the writing stage, Cameron would draw all the scenes, he'd he'd sketch designs and the look of the piranhas. Mm. Um, So it sounds like it took about two months to do all the pre-production stuff here. Wow. And that's something that I think Cameron has not really talked about. I believe he's even said he had no say in the writing, essentially. So this here is a video basically saying, hey, it was all James Cameron. That's so suspicious. This is where the stories start to divert a bit. And I feel a little bit like a video is deflecting blame here. I don't know. Did a video really let him have the reins here? It seems like the video is basically saying, oh, you know this terrible film? Yeah, James Cameron wrote it. Uh, I was there, but James Cameron wrote it. And he was like, what, like 25 when he this came really out? He was really young. Yeah. And like, it seems like a video is trying to pin this movie onto James Cameron when it's convenient. Like, yeah. For the bad stuff. And so the pre-production stuff is not too interesting, but it's the onset stuff. Oh. This is where it gets really juicy. Okay? Oh. Not quite at the punching yet, but like... We're getting there. So a video said that he took Cameron aside on the first day and said, listen, Jim, just as a side note, I think it's a little weird for a video to call him Jim. So weird. Feels like he's taking a jab at him. Jimmy James Jabber. Oh, little James Cameron, who (laughs) I helped make his first movie. Like, (laughs) shut up. He's James Cameron. Like, say his his name properly. Please, a video, may I have some more? (laughs) (laughs) That's what, and he came up with a bucket of fish. (laughs) And he was like, make the rubber fish. Make the rubber fish. Um, so he said, listen, Jim, I like you. You're intelligent. You have some interesting ideas. You are visionary, which is true. He is incredibly visionary. Uh, you have a great sense of style, but you have no experience. I certainly hope you do as far as special effects are concerned, but as a director, you have none. So he he sort of like says, you know, everyone else here has more experience than you. You should be asking them for help. He says this on day one. This, This quote is not like crazy. It just, it seems a bit like maybe in retrospect, a video is playing up how much he passed on wisdom to James Cameron. He is the director of the film and he should be in charge of all the different departments and controlling things. Well, yeah, like obviously, you know, it's okay to like ask for help and not know stuff. But here it just seems like a video is saying like, I was teaching James Cameron a valuable, lesson about filmmaking i was basically his film exactly like i was his teacher it's like okay (laughs) hang on a second let's calm down a video um but here here it says uh on the second day i realized he hadn't listened to a word i had said and on the eighth day he was six days behind schedule oh which is like pretty bad uh and he says it's because he was experimenting which is something that he would do even later on in his career which is fine when you have the money and the means but we were on a tight schedule and a small budget All of this was happening with regular scenes from actors. We hadn't even started with the special effects sequences. Mm. By the end of the first week, members of the crew were coming to me with complaints. He had lost control of the situation and hold on the crew and cast. The actors hated him because he was arrogant, at times vulgar. While all of this was going on, I stood by his side, defending him. Uh... Right, like, I don't know. This all seems very, like, spun against James Cameron. Very weird, too, because Lance Hendrickson, he goes on to play... Bishop in Aliens and and all that stuff. I think he's in Terminator as well. He might be, yeah. Like you mentioned, James Cameron does have a reputation on set, but, like, this was his first film. And again, it, it feels like a video is kind of, like, I don't know, hyping himself up. Yeah. So, over the years, Cameron has been very aggressive and provocative when talking about me. And I've never reacted, which 
we'll talk about it. Oh. There was a bit of a reaction, but I will just tell you this anecdote, which is very emblematic and is something I've never told anybody. So we're getting exclusive here. We're getting right? an exclusive. Exclusive of- from the Daily Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was the Monday of the second week. They were shooting on the beach not far from the hotel where we were staying. I I made my way to set to see how things were going and nobody was there. The sets had been moved and nobody had told me anything. Then I see the crew in the distance on boats, rowing boats and larger vessels, 20-30 people on boats out at sea. Mm. All of a sudden, I notice a man swimming towards the shore. What? It was the first AD. What? He emerges from the water, fully dressed. Oh! Right, so this guy's come out of his office at this resort. The whole set is gone, the boats are at sea, and then the first AD swims to shore. In his clothes? In his clothes, and comes up to him shouting, that guy is a maniac. I'm out of here. He's driving everybody crazy. A video just stood there, incredulous. But why are you over there, at sea? He couldn't understand what scene that they could possibly be shooting. And then the AD said, he's chasing a cloud. Was it the cloud from Nope? Maybe it was the cloud from Nope. The one that had the shape and color he wanted. So video said the situation had reached the point of no return. Everyone hated his guts and kept repeating that he was going to drive the film into the ground. If anyone on this set thought that this film wasn't already around, like they were very misinformed. So, So I called him and I said, Jim, I have to fire you. But seeing that you have undoubtedly put a lot of effort into your work, I won't send you away. You can direct all the underwater sequences with special effects and piranhas. So I took care of principal photography and dialogue-based scenes, and I sent him off to the Cayman Islands to do the underwater scene. Interesting stuff there. So it doesn't quite line up perfectly with James Cameron stuff, but yeah. at the same time, given what you've said about like how abrasive James Cameron can be on set. All the set stuff, yeah. Right? Maybe this is true. Maybe. We don't know, but maybe from the very beginning, maybe from his first film... James Cameron was already, like, clashing with Which everyone on set. It's wild, because this is his first experience, ever. Imagine you're a young shot director, this is your first chance at acting. Yeah. And you just start screaming at people. It's, it's interesting, because, you know, he worked on effects and stuff like that. But yeah, like, he, he was apparently thrilled to be working on this film. And it's hard to believe that he would have been so abrasive right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there are other reports of him working just really, really hard. He put a lot of work into the piranhas, right? He was working in a shed, making rubber fishes. And that's the thing, too. Right. James Cameron says that everyone else was, like, partying and stuff. Exactly. You know, when James Cameron says he worked on it for two and a half weeks, it's like, I I don't know quite what to believe here because I think a video's story could be true. Right. I do think it's possible that maybe James Cameron was like this from the very beginning and he was experimenting because this is a low budget film. $150,000 is nothing. Yeah. And if you have 20 or 30 crew and cast members, I actually don't know how long you can keep that many people employed. Yeah. That's the thing. So when James Cameron says he was on set for two and a half weeks, that sounds like a real really short amount of time. Exactly. Because most films, obviously, they shoot for months. They're like half a year shoots. Exactly. But like, for this kind of film, for a, a film with such a low budget, I personally think that two and a half weeks was probably almost all of the film. Oh. that That's why I think that this is his directorial debut. Right. The Terminator he worked on fully, and I'm not saying that he did every single shot in this film, but in two and a half weeks, I think there's a good chance he did the majority of Piranha 2 this morning. And think about it like this, $3,000 for... The director. That Miller Drake was gonna yeah. get. James Cameron was probably getting the same amount. If everyone on the set is getting paid like a couple of thousand bucks and there's 20 30 of them right mm-hmm. like i don't think you can keep people hired for that exactly long. so making piranha 2 this morning was probably like a month or two tops. I, I have a feeling some people worked for 
free. That could totally have happened, actually. Like, like some like favors or something? Shits. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, not everyone got paid that well, but I think two and a half weeks means James Cameron did most of this film. Wow. Yeah. Here's where it gets really interesting. So there's a bit more to this, a video interview. And, and this is where I couldn't find more confirmation of this stuff. A video says that James tried to, like, break into the editing suite, right? And, like, was fucking around with the edit, and they were on a tight budget, and James Cameron just kept messing with stuff, and it was really pissing him off. James Cameron has actually said that he broke into the editing room. Wow! Right? But when James Cameron talks about it, he talks about it from, like, a creative point of view, as in he was desperate to make this film better, and they were ruining it. Like a last resort. Yeah, so, like, you can see... They both say that James Cameron broke into the editing suites, but the spin on it is very, very different. Wow. And I, I don't know whose is more accurate, who to believe, but this this part's crazy. So in the video interview, he later talks about the editor, Roberto Silvi, who is a, a good friend of the video. Okay. And apparently quite well known in Hollywood. Apparently he's worked with like John Huston and Tommy Lee Jones and stuff. So That's big. Roberto Silvi is the editor of this film. And apparently uh, years later, Roberto met James Cameron in Los Angeles. Oh. And a video says, Sylvie overheard Cameron speaking badly about, quote, his shitty Italian, something like that. What? A video then says that Sylvie kicked his ass. What? He says that Sylvie punched Cameron right in the face. <laughs> he says he waited for him in the garage and smashed him. In the parking garage? In the fucking parking garage. What is this? At a Los Angeles film premiere. <laughs> and this is where this a video interview, like, now I question the whole thing. What is this, baby right? driver? Because that... That didn't happen. No. That didn't happen. Let's say it's not even a premiere of his film. Yeah, let's say James Cameron's just visiting a cinema. He has to have, like, some sort of entourage, whether it be his wife, his driver. Exactly. And if it's a premiere, I don't know. If I it's think... a premiere, James Cameron's partying. He probably has a valet, too. Yeah, exactly. He's got a chauffeur. He's got a limo out front. Like, there's no way on this earth that a man could go into a parking garage, go up to legendary cinema director James Cameron, director of Avatar, and just, like, beat him up. Also, the fact that he They'd hurt be in jail. Him. Yeah, jail, lawsuit, or something, <laughs> right? Yeah. And he was like, he beat the shit out of him? No, he didn't. No, God. he didn't. No, he didn't. Who says James Cameron was even talking about him? How could he even hear it, too? We yeah. They were seated that close together. James Cameron is so rich. I guarantee you he has not thought about a video asinitis <laughs> in decades. I know. Right? James Cameron is sleeping so well at night yeah. with his fucking nightmares about the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> My nightmares about Terminator, Terminator dreams of Avatar. Right? So he like, could have also been talking about someone else's shitty Italian. It could have been anyone. Italian. It could have been any Italian. Thing. He could have been talking about his shitty Italian pizza. Yeah. He his shitty Italian pizza oven. <laughs> James Cameron's at this film premiere. He's like, yeah, I bought this pizza oven. It's, it's, it's so shitty. I got it from this, Ita this shitty Italian guy. Roberto grabs him by the shoulders, throws him out the window. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> Right? Like, that didn't happen. And I believe a lot of what a video was saying earlier about, like, what happened on set. But that is ridiculous. Wow. I don't know why he's, like, lying like that. I don't know. It's such a weird lie. Yeah. Maybe, like, his tone of voice is jokey. If you said it in a joke, it'd be like, oh, then he punched him in the face. <laughs> yeah, Sylvie kicked my man, Sylvie kicked his ass. You'd exaggerate more, Exactly. Right? But here he's like, yeah, he waited for him in the garage and he beat the shit out of him. Like, <laughs> that's not a funny joke, a video. <laughs> Maybe that's why you haven't worked on any, like, yeah. big budget films. Labyrinth of Sex, my ass. <laughs> Wait a second, no, I didn't mean that. No! no! No, Labyrinth of Sex, my ass. Someone should make, like, the Room-style documentary on this, like, um, yes. the disaster artist. Oh my god, that would be incredible. If we could yeah. dig up more details about this film, it would make an incredible, like, 
little mini documentary. Yeah. That, that's about the extent of the video interviews. Again, I don't know who to believe. Who do you believe? Comment down below if you're on a YouTube version. And if not... Send us an email at firstfilmpotty. If you worked on this film or any of Ovidio's films, let us know because maybe he was like this on the other ones. In fact, we're putting out a hit on Roberto Silvi. <laughs> <laughs> we want to track this man down and ask him if he really beat up James Cameron in a parking crash. Ask him if his Italian's really shitty. Do you think Roberto Silvi just lied? Maybe. What if a video actually believes it and Roberto Silvi didn't like <laughs> fucking lie? Like, can you imagine Roberto Silvi goes on the phone? He's like, hey, yo, video, remember J James Cameron guy you don't like? I beat him up. Can I have a thousand bucks? And he just beat up some like random he old man. He just beat up some random. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Just some random guy with that white goatee. <laughs> vague white beard. He was wearing an Avatar t-shirt. It's yeah. not a premiere. It's just like the screening of like. Holy shit. It's just like a fucking rom-com. He's delusional. He's delusional. Um, Jesus Christ. Christ. Really quickly, I do want to talk a little bit about the cast, though. Oh. So, Trisha O'Neill plays Anne. She's the main character, and she's been in a lot of TV stuff. She worked on Charlie's Angels, uh, The A-Team, Star Trek, and, a little fun tidbit, actually, she's uh, credited in Titanic wow. as an extra. Wow, okay. Which I think is really fun, like... Bloody drowns on the boat. James Cameron gives her the most gruesome death possible. <laughs> Looks he like the boat got her. her in the end. Oh my god, the piranhas killed her. Yeah. I haven't seen Titanic, but could you imagine if there was, like, an Easter egg for piranha in that Oh film? my god. I gotta find it. Lance <laughs> Hendrickson is probably the most famous person to come out of this. He was in Aliens as Bishop. Before this, he'd been an extra in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He's quite prolific. He's done a lot of voice acting work. There's a lot of video games, Mass Effect. Yeah. Uh, uh, here's, a, here's a quote from him, actually, about the making of the film. Okay. I remember I got down there and they had no wardrobe, so I had to buy my wardrobe off of a waiter. What? The guy had chinos and they had a blue stripe down the leg, <laughs> so it looked like a harbor cop uniform, and he was in my size, so I think I gave him 75 bucks, and he gave me his clothes. Wait, he terminated him. Oh my god. He fucking terminated he him. He terminated him. I gotta, like, can we just be honest? You know, 75 bucks for chinos. What is that, like $200 now time? It's definitely more. Like, was he even getting paid 200 bucks? Did Lance Hendrickson spend his entire paycheck for this film on costume for the film? I hope so. Because that would be ridiculous. This story of the behind the scenes is arguably more interesting than it's the story It's so much itself. better than the actual movie, yeah. right? I read this. Five punches to James Cameron's face. <laughs> <laughs> By Roberto Silvi. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that is the end of the story of Piranha 2. So James Cameron looks on it quite fondly now. He jokes about it. He said it's the best film about flying piranhas ever or something <laughs> in an interview. So, Oh, Jimmy. Good old Jim seems to have accepted that this film is part of his, uh, his legend. Well, now. I think, why wouldn't he? If there's one thing James loves... It's water. Well, anyways, folks, um, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Ooh. Thank you all so much if you've made it to this point. Don't forget to like, follow us, because we should have episodes coming out bi-weekly. Next time we'll be talking about Ridley Scott. Yes. I'll be talking a little bit about his background, his career. Kyle will do a little bit of research on Ridley Scott's first film, which I guess we can reveal here. The Duelist. The Duelist. Don't know anything about that film. No, not at all. But we will be watching it. We'll be talking about it. So thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode.